Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people, and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Cole Kublik, SEC Network, but ESPN as well, joins us on 365 Sports. We're going to allow him to be able to get the kickoff of the Bills game against the Steelers. Cole, do you remember the coldest game or a snow game that you played in? The coldest game I played in was the Iron Bowl in 2000. Uh, That was at Brian Denny Stadium. It was in the 20s. We had sleet. Not like, not real snow, but... Uh, it was fleeting the entire game, so that was that was easily the coldest one I played in. How much of the loss of Tavares Robinson hurts Alabama? I think a lot of it depends on on who is next up on that side of the football for Alabama. Um, he is an elite recruiter. He's a guy that knows that scheme, knows that defense. He's obviously worked under Kevin Steele. He's worked under Will Muschamp. He's worked under. Nick Saban, so it's all the same tree. He knows that scheme as well as anybody. I think he had a pretty heavy hand in helping out with play calling last year for Alabama's defense. Uh, he's also a good special teams coach. He's great with punt returners. But it's the recruiting prowess, the pipeline to South Florida that he brings that's going to hurt. I, it's hard to say exactly how much it's going to ding Alabama because you don't know who else they're going to be able to get in. But there's not a lot like T-Rob, for sure. I know that. What is – Kalen DeBoer's biggest challenge outside of, you know, resetting expectations that Nick Saban's not there anymore. Yeah, he's not going to reset expectations. (laughs) So maybe the challenge is just to understand that that's not going to take place. Um, I personally think his biggest challenge is going to be to try to mirror what I believe 
Nick Saban's most impressive feat was during his tenure at Alabama, and that was being able to keep the power brokers at bay. That was being able to tell the boosters, the money guys, hey, you're not coming in here. You're not going to be hands-on with this program. We're doing it my way, and you need to stay over there. And we need your help financially. We need facilities. We obviously, then when NIL came along, we need that. But you're not going to come in here and tell me who to hire. You're not going to come be a part of practice. You, you know, those things aren't going to be real. You're, you're not going to do that. And Nick Saban had a little bit of desperation on his side as an advantage to be able to pull that off. But that's by far the most impressive thing he's done. To what extent Kalen DeBoer is going to be able to do that will probably have a lot to do with his level of success. And you also have to imagine it becomes more difficult now because a lot of those guys, they haven't been able to get inside that program that they've wanted to for so long. And, you know, now he's going to be a guy that has to say, oh, I know you haven't been in here in 20, 30 years or you haven't been able to come in here for 15 years. We need you to stay back out. A lot of those guys think they're going to be able to get right back in. Cole, I mean, there's a lot of dominoes still to fall, but when you look at what Kalen DeBoer likes to do offensively, uh, is Jalen Milrow going to be able to fit into that? Does Will Rogers now head towards Tuscaloosa? How do you sort of project how, how that might work itself out? I don't think Will Rogers ends up at Alabama, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, it's a tough situation for him, and I had him on my podcast this past week and uh, talking to him since the news was announced. You know, he's got he's got a couple tough calls ahead of him. But I just think that Jalen Milrow sticks around, and I think Ryan Grubb can alter that offense to whatever weapons they have. They can be run heavy, run first. They can be a shot play offense. They can be a motion-based offense. They can go up speed. But it just, he, he can alter it however he needs to for his players to be successful. So I wouldn't expect Jalen Milrow to hit the portal. Uh, if he did, it would probably be after spring if something just didn't go right. But – I think they can sit down with him and show him how they can help him develop the same way they do with Michael Penix and potentially turn him into an even better college quarterback. Uh, Cole, Jed Fish to Washington to replace DeBoer. Uh, it's the cycle, the carousel, the hamster wheel. Somebody else now is about to lose a coach because Arizona will hire somebody. Your thoughts about the move that Washington made to try to uh, at least overcome the loss of DeBoer? Yeah, I just I hate it for those kids at Arizona because they had something special brewing. They really did. I thought Jed did an awesome job of bringing in some of the old guard. You know, he had Teddy Bruschi a part of the staff. Uh, Chuck Cecil was on that staff. You know, he really he really went above and beyond to get the guys that have been an integral part of that program for a long time and bring them back in. And you know, Jed Fish showed this past year whether it's building culture whether it's getting guys in that understand you know, how to do a little bit more with less, recruiting at a high level, you know, getting guys that were maybe undervalued and making them in to be great college football players. He can do all of that. So I was really impressed with him, been able to be around him twice this year for two different games, and I think he's going to win at Washington. I just hate the fact that he has to leave a lot behind that he built there in Arizona to go do it in Seattle. Cole, um, do you think that – SEC fans are breathing a sigh of relief about Nick Saban, or do they have to like wait and see how good Kalen DeBoer is? Well, either way, you're breathing a little bit of a sigh of relief because he's the greatest coach to walk this planet as far as college football is concerned. So you got to breathe a little bit easier, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but there is there is this sort of 
mutual respect that is now coming down. I think a lot of SEC fans, fans of other schools, thought this would be a day to celebrate, to rejoice, to be happy. And a lot of them are kind of like, wow, I can't believe this is real. And then having the understanding of what Nick Saban accomplished during his time at Alabama. Um, and that's a weird feeling because you're excited that your team's going to have a better chance to go win football games. But you also have an appreciation of just how good he was. I also think there's a little bit of semblance uh, with where we are right now, NIL, transfer portal, all the changes happening in college football. Guys, we're probably not going to get somebody that could operate the way that Nick Saban could. Like just today's college football is not really going to allow that. And, and I think there's a lot of people that are a little bummed about that. Other than everybody, which of the SEC schools may be on a hand, one hand, or the incoming schools, Texas and OU, benefit the most from Saban being gone? Um, I think probably, it sounds crazy to say, but probably Georgia and Texas, maybe Auburn. Um, you know, Georgia and Texas are the two schools that run their program as closely to what Nick Saban did at Alabama. So I think now you sort of become the standard of how you operate and do what you do because he's no longer there. And as I stated, it's going to be more and more difficult for teams to operate that way moving forward. Um, Auburn, plain and simple, that you don't have that guy right across the state any longer. Um, so that is obviously going to help you freeze for a lot of different reasons in a lot of different ways. So um, I think those would be the schools that I would say probably at the front of the list. Not that Georgia needs a ton of help or Texas needs a ton of help, but those are the schools that seem to have that trajectory towards being at the top of the league and doing it the way that others just can't replicate. And now with Alabama and a little bit of uncertainty there, I would think that that gives them massive advantages. Uh, Cole, and I, I appreciate your time and the game's about to kick the NFL game. So we'll let you go here in just a second. But when you look at uh, the way college football is, even Saban, in an interview with Reese Davis, made the comment about putting together some sort of parameters. It's not get off my lawn. He understands it. If you had the perfect way, for example, Jed Fish leaves for Washington, now players will leave with him, and then whoever else. Is there any way to control that a little bit better in college football? Yeah, I just think you have to have some sort of guardrails on the portal. I just don't think it can be this 7-11. And people can say, well, it's not open 365. It's not open this and that. But kids are still announcing that they're going when it's not open. So I think those guardrails have to be more of a one-time transfer policy. I mean, we got Casey Thompson going to play his seventh year at the four different schools. Mm -hmm. like, I mean, it's just all of this stuff is stupid. Um, and I understand people don't want to hear about loyalty and people want to talk about player rights, this, that, whatever. But – it's just that there, there's some of it that we've allowed to go a little bit too far down the track. And I, and, and listen, I'll be the first one to tell you what I would like to happen and want to happen, but I'll also tell you, I'll counter it with, yeah, you're going to get sued, though. Right. And that's been the problem all along. Mm -hmm. is here comes Thomas Mars, you know, his college football ambulance chaser machine, and, you know, he's going to sue you for whatever he wants to. Now, I'd like to see what his response will be to the Tungabailoa family that apparently are saying that the one extra game they played at Alabama was to honor Tua, and therefore it shouldn't count against his redshirt year. But either way, you know, I, I mean, I think you got a lot of guys that have learned how to game the system, 
you have a lot of people within the NCAA that are terrified of more lawsuits and more litigation. So it's just anything goes. I mean, we've turned this thing into Burger King. Have it your way right away. Whatever you want to do, we don't care. Just keep the cash coming in and we'll be fine. Uh, but nobody's making these guys play college football. And that's what really continues to kill me. I just I don't understand why we treat it as if it's some, you know, some sort of situation where nobody really wants to do it, but we're making them do it. And therefore, they, they should have all these rights involved and all these different things should go their way. You don't have to play college football, man. Go bag groceries. Go be a bank teller. If, if, if it's not good enough for you, then just don't do it. Last thing, Caleb Williams is entering the draft. That's not a surprise. It's the last second decision, perhaps to get even more attention. Is there anything about him that is a red alert or a red flag in Caleb Williams in the NFL? No, I don't think so. I mean, he can make every throw, big arm, changes his arm angle. You know, he can throw off platform. He's got pretty decent mobility, especially mobility to throw, not so much mobility to run, but – mobility to get out. I actually thought it was only responsible how Lincoln used him outside of the pocket this year. Some of the zone read stuff, option stuff with an RPO attached to it, I thought really put him in harm's way. But he can be a big-time player. Um, you know, is he that sort of alpha male personality? I don't, I don't know that. I haven't been around him enough. But you know, that's the one thing you wonder about some of these quarterbacks going into the ultimate leadership position in the NFL. Is they going to be able to command a locker room at that level? But to me, he seems like a guy that's going to be able to fit right in and be a franchise quarterback. Cole, would you shovel snow out of a seat to go watch this game today? Uh, to watch the Steelers, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> there you go. There you go. Even though we know Mason Rudolph and don't know the status of T.J. Watt, um, to go potentially beat my brother-in-law's team and be able to rub that in, yeah, I'd be all over it. Cole, thank you, buddy. Appreciate your time and the time you give us when we get a chance. That's Cole Kublick, ESPN, SEC Network. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.